You're listening to episode 16 of In Film We Trust. I'm Wayne. I'm Liam. A weekly podcast where we discuss, dissect, and deep dive all things film from the obscure to the mainstream. And now, on with the show. A new student arrives at Miskatonic Medical School in Arkham, Massachusetts. His name is Herbert West, and he takes up lodgings with another student, Dan Kane. West has been working on a special chemical, a reagent with the power to resurrect the dead. But the subjects return to life full of violence and rage, and West's efforts to perfect his creation will lead him to conduct experiments that fly in the face of basic ethics and human decency. Do you know what, Wayne? Hmm? I think I'm going to have to start this podcast with a little confession. Go ahead. I have never read H.P. Lovecraft. Um, I'll be honest, I've never read any Lovecraft uh, things either. We're in good company though, Wayne, because mm-hmm. star of this film, Jeffrey Coombs, didn't even know who Lovecraft was. Never heard of him? Never Never mind he didn't read him, he didn't know who Lovecraft was. Mm-hmm. So, directed by Stuart Gordon, reanimator, debut feature film. 1985, 1985, with a budget of uh, roughly 900k to 1.3 million. That makes sense, because Stuart Gordon was known for H.P. Lovecraft adaptations. After this, did he not make, f- is it From Beyond? From Beyond he made, and I think producer Brian Usner made Bride of Reanimator. He did, yeah. and A, uh, few, a few years later. Gordon also directed something called Dagon. I think that was another H.P. Lovecraft adaptation. Dagon? Dagon, I'm not sure what that is. Stuart Gordon actually has an interesting pedigree, because he comes from the Organic Theatre Company. Yeah, he does. And they make these really provocative stage plays i was reading one and there's literally this stage play where they would plan audience members and in order to shake up the audience's apathy they would attack these planted audience members pretend to rape them Mm -hmm. assault them that's pretty forward thinking i read the exact same thing it was called the game show and it caused people to storm out every single night it it was uh it was on stage did he not do a fully nude peter pan as well he did something like that was it not uh, Peter Pan that had some kind of parallels with Vietnam that was going on at the time, and that caused a lot. That caused a lot of like political censorship of his. I work. think so, but the organic theatre was it was it was coming from an artistic background because when Stuart Gordon came up with the idea to do Reanimator, I th- he first it was going to be a stage play, wasn't it? Yes, and I think he was planning on hoping that the organic theatre company would be behind him, but they didn't want to really be involved with a horror film. Yeah, because as far as I know, Gordon wanted to do a Frankenstein film. He was annoyed because there were two many Dracula films, not enough Frankenstein yeah. films. And a friend actually gave him a copy of Herbert West Reanimator, which was a 1922, I believe, short story from Lovecraft. And yeah, and that's what inspired him to make this film. Well, Stuart Gordon actually, he seeked it out at the library. That's how he found out. A friend mentioned it to him, but Stuart Gordon, what he did was he went to the library. And you've got to remember, Lovecraft, for whatever reason, even in the 80s, was nowhere near as popular as he is now. No, I think in his day, Lovecraft had the same problem F. Scott Fitzgerald had, where it was only critical reevaluation decades later. That's the only reason people really know about him, because he barely made a living in his time. Same with Edgar Allan Poe, of course. Well, is it like a lot of these... Because you would class like Lovecraft for his time a pulp writer. Yeah, well, because he published in a lot of pulp uh, magazines. As far as I know, they were about the only ones that would take a lot of his uh, material. And you had the same problem with a Raymond Chandler. They were adapted because they were pulpy. So you got like the big sleep from Raymond Chandler in the 50s. Mm-hmm. But they weren't necessarily like critically acclaimed. They were reappraised way later in their careers. Yeah, well, lots of films are like that. They come out, maybe they didn't have the right audience. Years later, we look back on them as masterpieces. I mean, Reanimator itself is what you'd call a cult film. 
Well, it's definitely pulpy, Wayne. Very definitely much so, yeah. pulpy. I did read they wanted to film it in black and white originally with a 16mm camera to mm. give it a gritty quality. I actually, I really like the, the, the vibrance of colour. I think it makes it pop that much more. It does. I don't think black and white would have worked for a story like this, I'm, I don't think. Well, Stuart Gordon had two scripts going. He had got Reanimator. He had mm-hmm. wrote Reanimator, sorry. He also had a script called Lucky about a pampered dog whose owner had a baby. And now the dog is secondary. And the film was a battle of wits between dog and baby. And producer Brian using it, I think, appropriately said, nah, I think we'll stick with Reanimator. Yeah, I thought you were going to say that it was like two versions of the same story, but that sounds, yeah. like, a compl- that sounds like some kind of weird Stephen King project. Do you think that, you think that ties in with Brian using it and Stuart Gordon later writing the story for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Could be, yeah. That sounds more like that kind it of thing. It seems more of a like a bizarre family type it does, yeah. Situation. Also, they wanted to do it as a 13-episode TV series as in a pilot and 12 episodes, but they were actually convinced by, I think it might have been using himself, he said the only market for horror at the time is in cinema, not in TV. Crazily, you know, you, this film was, was Empire Pictures, I think, distributed or made it? Uh, distributed, I think. And the producer of, or the owner of, sorry, Empire, production, Empire Pictures was Albert Band. I've heard of him. Whose son, Charles Band, would actually be the producer of Reanimator. Mm-hmm. And he didn't think there was any money in horror at all. So he was trying to convince them away from Reanimator. And actually, when he saw, when Albert Band, the, the elder, elder Albert Brand, saw the rushes of this film, you know, the, the footage of this film, he says, you've got £20 of shit in a £10 bag. <laughs> that sounds about right, yeah. <laughs> it's not high art, this film, let's be honest. Pauline Kale called it indigenous American junk. Mm. But she loved the film. That sounds like someone... That, 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 was that, a, that, sound a, like, that sounds like a very Pauline K. It was, it was a positive review, Wayne, because this yeah. did get critical reclaim. I think Roger Ebert gave it three out of four. Mm-hmm. The, thing is, the thing with Roger Ebert is he actually does give a lot of very positive reviews, even to films a lot of people don't like that much. He tends to be easier on films than the likes of Pauline Kael. Would you call Roger Ebert a populist? More, more, more so than the likes of Gene Siskel, his interview partner was. And I always find Pauline Kael, you can never gauge her because she... She's a huge De Palma fan, mm-hmm. huge De Palma, and he—you could call him to a degree pulpy. Uh-huh. I uh, think I think Roger Ebert even said Pauline Kael is one of the best film critics ever, been because of kind of a very sharp observations and her critique, uh, critiquing style, which he very much admires. Do you know what word I think I'd choose for Pauline Kael? Unique, contrarian, contrarian. Yeah, she yeah. was. She was. She could be very contrarian. Yeah. And Jim Nolan, actually, is am I saying right? Jim Nolan, who did the effects for this? John Nolan. John Nolan. He did the makeup effects. The makeup, makeup effects. effects, yeah. To do research for this, him and Gordon, they looked at pictures of actual corpses from the oh, local yeah. morgue, and they read books on forensic pathology. I'll be honest, I think that really comes into play. Do you know what, as well? Mm-hmm. Gordon actually took photos in a morgue of corpses to get their look exactly correct. That's not surprising. Yet. I'm assuming he obtained permission before he did this. I hope that. Well, <laughs> I hope so. But it, funnily enough, Gordon actually went to a... It was a, a, a mortuary, a morgue, and the doctor who worked there, he actually exhibited in the morgue because he, he collected John Wayne Gacy's clown pictures. And that doctor himself actually said, look, you can actually film in this morgue and you can use the dead bodies as extras as long as you don't use the faces. Okay, then. Do you trust that mortician? No, I don't trust that mortician. No, I definitely don't. And I'm glad they didn't film there. Well, considering most of the corpses in this film, we see the faces of, they wouldn't have ended up being able to use them. Yeah, I'm very glad they went there. Nolan also said it like this. Nolan said it was the bloodiest film he'd worked on. He actually said... In the past, I'd never used more than a couple of gallons. On Reanimator, I used 12 times as much. 
Good thing you didn't work on Planet Terror then, isn't it? <laughs> I'd say so. How many oh, how many gallons do you think Planet Terror used? I think they could have used that amount in a single scene, probably a single shootout. If it wasn't CGI, Wayne. If it wasn't CGI, if it wasn't CGI. Also, here's an interesting thing I like. Do you know who uh, someone who once claimed this was his favourite film of all time? Oh, who? David Bowie. David Bowie. David Bowie, apparently. Bowie, Bowie. Where do you Bowie, go? Where do you go? David, okay, David Bowie, yeah. He actually said, I think, to the director himself or one of the cast members that it was his favourite film of all time. Well, Reanimator, as you said, was going to be a half an hour TV show. They bumped it up to try and get it into an hour TV show. Mm-hmm. I'm, I think it works better as a film. It does. Very close. There's Interesting, there's actually several versions of this film. There's one version where all of the gore was cut out but a lot of footage that was originally omitted was put back in and it ended up being longer. And that does actually play into some scenes later in the movie. It actually explains some questions I had in the later scenes. Would you like to get to the film now, Wayne? Yes, I think we should do that. We kick off at a medical school in, I believe, Zurich, Switzerland. Zurich, Switzerland, yes. Zurich, Switzerland, very big, imposing building. And there's some kind of ruckus going on. There's a ruckus. There's staff going down the hallway, isn't there, at this mm-hmm. university. And this is where we we are introduced to our central character, Herbert West. Mm-hmm. But who is the guy that's with the with that's in the room with him? Gruber. Gruber. Uh, Dr. Gruber. Dr. Hans Gruber. Hans He's Gruber. actually called Hans Gruber. And this movie, bear in mind, came up before Die Hard. And you might say, oh, well, that's the book. In the book, he was called Anton Gruber. Ooh. <laughs> this movie predicted Alan Rickman. Do you think Alan Rickman <laughs> was riffed on Reanimator? I think this movie is Alan Rickman, uh, Alan Rickman approved. Like What's interesting with this thing, this um, scene we're going to set up, it, it was because it, it's the prologue of the film. And there was a, a version of this film where they completely cut out the prologue of this. Yes. But producer Brian Usner, he said he wanted it in because he didn't want the audience to be bored for two single seconds. He needed the audience to know what they were watching from the start. Okay. For me, you kind of need this scene because it, it very much ties into what comes later on. If you'd taken this scene out, there would have been a lot of referring back to things that would make yeah. no sense. And you can't really cut those scenes out. So if he's wanting you to know the intention of the film in two minutes, what is that intention, Wayne? What happens in this scene? Well, we have West, like you say, Herbert West, in the thing with Hans Gruber. Yes. Ho, ho, ho. And he's performing some kind of crazy experiment on him. And I have to say, I did like the prosthetics in this film. What do you think of the prosthetics? And like the, the practical and the makeup? effects? I thought it was extremely well. And that's what you were saying with John Nolan, who done the makeup effects. And I think that's the authenticity you get when I suppose you're photographing fucking dead bodies all yeah, the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they weren't using CGI, they were using real yes. stuff. And uh, Gruber gets up and he kind of madly thrashes around the room. He's got like... Eyes bulging. He's got like eye, eye, bulging eyes, pulsating eyes. Because this will become a topic. Mm. I think what this is, is... Herbert West is experimenting with a serum, mm, serum, serum yeah, from the yeah. start, and he's used too much of the dosage, hasn't yeah. he? He actually says, because uh, he collapses dead, and he says he's dead, and Herbert says, of course he's dead, the dosage was too large. And one of the staff members says, you've killed him! Mm. And I like this part, Wayne. Herbert West says, I did not kill him, and then he looks at the camera mm-hmm. in a very <laughs> self-referential way and says... I gave him life. Exactly. So it could have worked as a stage show. He's literally talking to the audience. And that sets us into the opening credits. What are these kind of these cool animated drawings, aren't they? Yeah, it's like things going all over the place. And I have to say, the uh, music playing over, completely 100% original music. Well, Wayne, <laughs> you say that. But I think Bernard Herrmann would have something to say that. Because what film does this score sound exactly like? Exactly like Cycle. Dun, 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 dun. Exactly like, in fact, Richard Band the guy who actually scored the thing, he said, uh, 
the, the it was modified. He modified the theme from Psycho, but kept the Herman-esque feel. What does he mean modified exactly? Changed a few notes. Was he just trying to get around copyright? <laughs> Possibly, because this song comes up again later in the film. In fact, other elements of the Psycho theme comes up later in the yes, film as well. It's intentional. They're they're going for a winning formula here, aren't to they? To be fair, it's one of the best scores ever composed for a film. Without so. getting into depth, did you not actually find this film to be a patchwork of films of? Uh, genre films in general very similar yes yeah but interestingly composer richard band brother of producer charles band of this film son of executive albert band good thing there's no nepotism going on in this definitely not nepotism what i found interesting is it's take borrowing the score from psycho but it's not like these are the same kind of horror films because this is very much a comic horror film isn't it this is very much, I would say, in the Sam Raimi field yeah, of... Evil Dead kind of thing. I think, actually, Brian Eusner said, we're going for the blood and gore of Evil Dead, but with the production values of The Howling. He did say that, he yes. He did say that. That's what he was aiming for, yes. And uh, But it's it's a great entrance scene. It's like very colourful, pictures flying all over the bit. I think it does kind of set the scene because it's, it's like sketches of body parts. Oh, it's very well. You're getting that kind of medical... Almost that Grey's Anatomy book, aren't you? Yeah. You're getting this... This biological anatomy feel. Yeah, and it leads us into a place called Miskatonic Medical School in a place called Arkham in Massachusetts, both uh, Lovecraft creations. The Miskatonic Medical School, the exteriors of that, were actually used in Terminator 2. Oh, which building? Oh, the, or the, med- or the, the mental institute, maybe. There was, I, I can't remember, but I know the exteriors of that building were used in Terminator 2. That's one of my favourite films. I really should have recognised that. <laughs> <laughs> Poor effort, Wayne. Poor effort, yeah. Poor e- so, so we're introduced at the Miskatonic Medical School to our second pr- protagonist, Dan Kane. Dan Kane, yeah. Now, he's positioned, you think he was positioned very much as the everyman. He's a trainee doctor. He's yes. a fairly regular guy. He's not eccentric. He's not quirky. This feels like he's going to be our perspective into this yeah. kind of world, you could say. Dan Kane is who we're supposed to identify with. Yes. He's in third-year medical school, mm-hmm. and now we're in the operating room. Is it an operating room? Uh, yeah, it's an operating or, room. Or an emergency room. Room. Yeah, emer- emergency he's, room. Yes. He's trying to resuscitate this woman. Incor- incorrectly, I should and say. And he's he's not having much success. No. And one of the female doctors says to him, quite um, foreshadowingly, mm-hmm. a good doctor knows when to stop. Mm-hmm. And what I thought with this is, because he fails to resuscitate this woman, mm-hmm. which what I thought was a great duality of set how we set up the two characters, because Dan Kane is failing to save life. And when we're introduced to Herbert West, he claims he's giving life. Oh, it's a good point. Like a kind of counterpoint. Yeah, it's the duality yeah. of the two characters. One's failing and one's giving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. What I like, what I find funny about this scene, you see this in movies all the time, incorrect use of like the defibrillators. Yeah. What people is, that's not to start your heart, that's to stop your heart if your heart's not beating properly and get it to start again. Is that not to steady arrhythmia, isn't that? It's yeah, because like, if your heart's out of rhythm, yeah. Also, he does CPR after, that's some of the worst CPR I've ever seen. It's way too slow. How would you know so much about this, way? I did a first aid course. You did a first yeah. aid course? If you do CPR, you do it to the tune of, ironically, Staying Alive by the Bee Gees, yes. or Another One Bites the Dust by Queen. This guy was just doing it way too slowly. Who were you planning on saving? Everybody. Ooh. <laughs> there you go, folks. In film we trust saves lives. I know CPR. I don't have any fancy reagents, but I do know CPR. So you've got no special serums? No, I don't have any special serums. Not yet, anyway. Well, that's got to be memed. Yeah, but yeah, like I say, he doesn't... He doesn't get this person back to life, which is a shame. You can see he's really annoyed about it. And he leads the body back to the morgue. We do spend a lot of time in this morgue. It's a very important location. That is one of the things that freaks me out in life, is morgues. Mm -hmm. 
I'm not comfortable around dead. Are you? No. You've seen too many movies? Too many movies. <laughs> I think I grew up on horror from, God knows, eight years old. Yeah. I would be watch, sneaking watching Halloween at midnight. Yeah. They're probably a lot more boring than we've been led to believe in movies and TV, but I can understand why that kind of thing would freak you out. Well, it's just the, everybody's vibrant and alive mm-hmm. in life, and it's the complete opposite. It's that mm-hmm. duality that... Mm-hmm. It just doesn't go together in a sense. Well, interesting you say that because you mentioned foreshadowing earlier, our our favourite word, of course. He leads the body into a morgue and he pushes past this other corpse whose arm falls out. Yes. And then he puts it up and the arm falls out again. I never even thought about that. That's almost, I don't know if it's accidental, but it's almost kind of hinting to what's going to happen later on. Hinting of life after death, is it? Yes, exactly. That's That's what I kind of got from that. It's kind of like, but I like it. It's quite subtle. There are these little details that, you know, they, they, they build a story, they build a theme of character, of, of development. Because you've seen this, for, when was the first time you'd seen this? It was a long time ago. I saw it as a teenager at some yeah, point. Yeah, i seen this maybe four or five years ago, and there was a lot I noticed this time around that I didn't notice first time around, mostly because in that time you're just discovering the film, but when you're yeah. looking back closely, there are a lot more things you notice. So he's taken this corpse to the morgue, and... Okay, we're introduced to the security guard for the morgue. Now, he is an interesting Now, would you folk. say he is of much use? No, he very much feels like, you know in movies like, uh, was it Last House on the Left, the kind of bumbling cops? Yes. He feels like the bumbling security guard. Well, can you pry that man away from a boudoir magazine? No. That's, that's all he reads. It's most of what he's doing, except, uh, except when he's going off to get coffee. Uh, an interesting anecdote. <laughs> Stuart, Stuart Gordon, the director, was actually asked... Why does he actually keep going for coffee? And he says, oh, he's not going for coffee. Do you want to tell him what he's going for, Wade? He's actually, he's heading off to masturbate, apparently. Yes, it's, it's, never, it's never implied in the film. First of all, I don't know why he would even need to reveal that. Second of all, look, it must get pretty bored working that job. It looks like a pretty uninteresting job, so. If one is turned on by working at beside a mortuary, yeah. I think that security guard is ready yeah. to be fired. I want to see what's in those magazines, though. Must be something stimulating. Ah, they're, pro- they're probably French, Wayne. Uh, yes, French. likely French, yeah. So the security guard, as Dan Kane is bringing the corpse into the mortuary, he says, don't know why they lock the doors. Nobody wants in, nobody getting out. Well, that makes total sense. That's applicable to a morgue. <laughs> I don't think anybody wants in, and I don't think many are getting out. I wouldn't disagree, yeah. Unless it's their funeral, of course. Of course not, <laughs> yeah. But this is where uh, Herbert West yes. arrives. He's coming from Switzerland, Herbert West, who we've met in the first scene. Now tell me, how did he get away from that school? I don't know. It, it's... It, it seems strange. It's like they were furious at him for what he did to Hans Gruber, and then he just left. Not get prison sentence? No arrest or anything like that? I was a bit confused, but... But we are introduced to the Dean Allen Halsey. Mm-hmm. Are they going for a jump scare here, Wayne? I think the so. The hand on the shoulder. The hand on the shoulder. The hand on the shoulder is a jump scare staple, isn't it? It was filmed too wide. You could see mm. him doing it. It wasn't... Yeah. Well, it didn't scare the audience, did it? It's a bizarre introduction. But this is kind of a funny introduction to Herbert West. Because yeah. you think when he comes on, he's introduced as a very aloof character. He's aloof. He's superior. He's quite condescending as well. Because even though he's come to learn from this school, he's acting as if he's already more knowledgeable than the lecturers are. He's very distant, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Interestingly, uh, Herbert West in the actual Lovecraft novel is described as blonde, blue-eyed. Well, he looks creepy this way because he's got like the dark hair and glasses. I have to say, Jeffrey Jeffrey Coombs Coombs does a pretty good dark stare. He is a good actor. Mm -hmm. I once saw behind the scenes and they were saying, how would you get into character? What's the difference between you and Herbert West? 
And he says, eh, I just put the glasses on. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only difference. That's, that's cool. But no, he does play this very, uh, almost kind of archetypical crazy scientist, doesn't he? Because that's, that's, his, that's his role in the film. Well, that's, that's the leaning into the pulp. We're dealing with stereotypes, aren't we? We've got yeah. the everyman, the mad scientist, mm-hmm. and we're going to be set up with a bunch of near-do-wells. The only thing he's missing, really, is frizzy hair. Yeah. That's the only thing he really needs. He's got everything else, but again, he's kind of a counterpoint to to Dan, who's very much a kind of down-to-earth guy. Yeah, Dan Dan is us. Yeah, Dan said. is us, busy. So Herbert West, he's supposed to be now joining Dan Kane in third year of medical school, isn't he? Yeah. And we're also introduced to the, one of the strangest characters of the film, Wayne, Dr. Carl Hill. What was Carl Hill's character's name called? What was his real name, I mean? It was David Gale was the name of the actor. David Gale. And he was chosen because he gave an old school gothic film appeal rather than the other actor who auditioned for this role was very realistic. Mm, he, he does. Do you know what it feels like? Did you ever watch the TV show The Demon Headmaster? He no. feels like that. He's like kind of very tall, very gaunt, like that kind of authority figure yeah. that looms over you. He has that presence. But he's not actually speaking British in this film, is he? He's almost got that... Pad- patrician mid-atlantic accent mm-hmm. slightly american yeah he is yeah where you don't know where that accent's coming from not sure well he's kind of a mysterious character isn't he and he's introduced by alan halsey who calls carl hill brain research and grant machine mm-hmm. do you think that's why they keep him around just because he brings that research money in as he must do yeah because he's a pretty creepy guy someone else we meet actually um uh kane's girlfriend megan Megan. Who happens to be the daughter of the Dean. Of the Dean Alan Halsey. So Megan is played by Barbara Crampton, <laughs> mm-hmm. staple of 80s horror Very cinema. important horror actress, yes. And she's, what would you say, how would you characterise her character? She's almost like the bubbly girl next she's, door. She's vivacious. Say. Vivacious. She's, a very, she's very happy. She's That's very what I would upbeat. Say. Yeah, she has, she's great in this film. She's got a very upbeat personality. She's very likeable. She's very funny. Because we meet her as Dan Kane is putting up in a... Uh, he's wanting to rent out one of his rooms at his house, isn't he, yeah. Dan Kane? So he's pinning up on the board in the hallway of the medical school. And this is where we meet Megan. And, they, you know, they're playing around. She's going, no, 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 no. <laughs> in the next scene, Wayne, what is she saying? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Do you know why, Wayne? Why is that? Um... To be polite, they are copulating. <laughs> they are the bit of, yes. And they're doing it below a poster. A talking heads poster. Talking heads poster. Something I completely missed on the first time around, even though I had a vague idea what the film was about. But when I seen it second time, I thought, that's a clever one. You got the word in last time on mm-hmm. the planet Terror. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say it this time. Mm-hmm. So listeners beware. That poster, that talking heads <laughs> poster, is foreshadowing. It is foreshadowing. Because we will get something pretty close to that name later on in the film almost exactly that name in fact yeah yes and they're i don't want to say they're interrupted but uh megan is leaving because they have kind of a discussion would this be post copulation it would be post copulation yep in fact actually there's someone else i want to mention he does a thing kane does a thing where he lies down a bed and he pulls a cover over him and then he rises up like top yep. kind of like well you could say like the undertaker from also WWE. reminded me of a uh, halloween Sort of, sort of, yeah. Under the bed. Oh, when he threw stuff, yeah. yeah. But uh, I saw it as kind of a Frankenstein thing, which obviously this movie is very much indebted to. Oh, it's very much parallel. This, this is a Frankenstein movie, Well, isn't he, it? he wanted to make a Frankenstein yeah. movie, yeah. And as they're leaving, <laughs> that was great. Oh, no. They open the door, and West has stood there. He hasn't knocked. He's just stood there at the door, and he wants to rent the room, which, uh, to be fair, that's someone you saw, you saw coming. Okay. Hmm. Here's a thing. Yeah. Here's my contention with Dan Kane. Right. So West enters the house, of course. Mm-hmm. He's looking around. He finds the basement. Mm-hmm. Now, do you rent a house 
a room to a man who is so enthusiastic about a basement. No, because one of his first questions is, does this building have a basement? Yes. Which is, well, it's totally not a suspicious thing to ask somebody, is it? And he is very gleeful at this basement. Hmm. I don't even think he ever goes in it. We don't think we ever see him in his room. He's in the basement all the time. Is that not a red flag? It is a red flag. It is a red flag. I have to say, this basement is perfectly structured for evil experiments. It's a very evil basement. It's very good. Actually, I was thinking about this at the time as well, because Jeffrey Coombs, like I say, it's an H.P. Lovecraft uh, yes. basis. Coombs actually played Lovecraft in a film called uh, Necronomicon in 1993. Oh, did so he? So Coombs has actually played Lovecraft before. Do you think that, that must be on the back of Reanimator? Yeah, I think it was a lot to that, yes. So there is this point of contention between Herbert West and Dr. Carl Hill, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Because Carl Hill is... Do, he's got this opinion that the brain can only survive six to 12 minutes before death, yeah, he's very, before he, irreversible he's death. Very, he's very keen to say six to 12, yeah, because once the brain stem is dead, then that's it, you're completely gone. And does he not have this idea about locating the will in the brain? Yeah, he wants to find the will in the brain. Like, like you know, when scientists try to find like the soul in the body, but he's because, trying to find the will in the brain. Yeah. Because to quote Hill, he says, brain death brings on an irreversible conclusion. Mm. I mean, that's that's it's that's a sensible I, th- I think most of us can conclusion. agree with that. There is someone who disagrees with it. A man who's, a man who's for whatever reason, snapping pencils. <laughs> Wasn't that the most bizarrest interruption? Is he doing that just to be a dick? It seems like he's just trying to be disruptive because he has this almost contemptuous feeling for Hill and his ideas. Is West a smug dick? Did you find a bit? He's quite smug. He's a smug guy. I think he's he? I think it's because again he's aloof and superior. He's too in you can get to a point, can't you, when you can be too intelligent. Yeah, yeah not just intelligent because he's ideas because he's always going on about how because someone said, Why did you come here from Switzerland? And he says, yeah. I learned everything I needed to there. Yeah. Do you know what's quite um Unfortunate. Mm-hmm. We'll never be described as too intelligent. No, we'll never be described. <laughs> I would like to be described just as intelligent, if yes, I'm too intelligent. Yeah, yeah. But, but him and Hale, they have this this kind of back and forth. There's a contention. And okay, in my notes, I have West snaps pencil for intention. Mm-hmm. Lol. <laughs> is it ever a pro- is it ever appropriate? And I've been thinking about this. Is it ever appropriate to say out loud? Is it socially acceptable to say lol? Well, I, well, you said something and I laughed, so I think it probably is in this situation. Yes. I don't think I, I It's a very lol moment, I'm, isn't it? I, I think I'm, I'm more likely to write ha 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 in my notes than lol. But here's something I thought, and I only thought of this because I made these notes previously, but yes. I only noticed, thought about this this morning. Do you think with the West and Hill thing, it's kind of a conflict between like the old and the new scientific way? Like old and new ways of doing things. Like Hill represents the kind of old fashioned ideas. West is these are the new ideas coming in. Yeah, Hill's the old guard. West's he's kind of avant garde. Avant garde, isn't he? He's trying to push the frontiers. Yeah. Hill is almost like a scientific theory that has been now replaced with a one that explains things better. So yeah, I just thought I just thought about that. I didn't even not when I was watching it, but I, just this morning I thought about this. Well, we go to a dinner scene after this, mm-hmm. and. Right, this is one of the creepier scenes, because now Hill's having dinner with Alan Halsey. Of course, Hill's the grant machine, as they call him. Mm-hmm. So Hill makes this toast where, in front of Megan. Yeah. Dan comes to collect Megan. Okay, this is creepy. This is where we see Carl Hill is not all he's meant to be, is he? No, he's not. He makes the, this toast. He says, to Megan, my esteemed colleague's capable, beautiful, loving daughter, the obsession of all who fun- fall under her spell. Mm-hmm. Is that appropriate? No, this dude is a creeper because it's established quite quickly that this dude essentially wants Megan. 
And he is sitting right next to her father. Exactly, yeah. But the thing is, Halsey respects Hill, but doesn't respect, because I think the idea is Megan and Kane are in a relationship, but Halsey doesn't know, does he? Well, well, this is actually, yeah, this is one of the interesting things. Does Halsey re- uh, respect Kane, or does he respect the money he brings in? He could do. Yeah. I think maybe he does, yeah, but he's yeah, he's not he's not especially high on Kane. Yeah, like I say, he respects Hill because of the grant money, but with Kane, I think he just looks down on him, maybe thinks he's not high enough stature or something. Do you think it's a different social strata? Probably, yeah. Well, There's like well, a hierarchy here. He's the dean of a medical school, yeah. Yeah, yeah but um, the, no, he, they very much do not approve of Kane and Megan's relationship. And the other, again, this thing with Hill, he's got these, these creepy ideas about Megan, but... She's not interested in him. Do you think that'll get creepier as the film goes on, Wayne? Oh, I'm sure it won't. Nah. nah. <laughs> no, definitely. Of course not. Yeah. But um, but back to with uh, Kane and West. At one point, uh, I think Megan's asking Kane about West, and Kane says West is, quote, a little cracked, which I think is meant to be kind of strange, because at this point, West's not really done anything out and out bizarre. I think he just views him as being kind of eccentric. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, at this point, he's, he's eccentric, isn't he? He's not, you wouldn't say he's offensive no he's not he's not horrible he's just a smug guy almost kind of socially awkward maybe not not a people person yeah yeah yeah, i suppose you could say that because we go back to the house dan and megan Mm -hmm. dan's wanting to make out a bit i don't blame megan here for not wanting to make out with dan because i'd be creeped out with that hill toast as well would you not yeah i would be it's very inappropriate but as they're trying to make out a little bit she realizes the cat's missing Mm -hmm. rufus the cat Rufus the cat. And they had, here's another interesting little thing. They're talking about Rufus the cat, and yes. uh, does Megan not mention that Rufus didn't like uh, Herbert West? She, is that what she said? She says she didn't like him, which is weird because in movies and TV, it's usually dogs that don't like bad people. Cats usually associate with bad people, don't they? Yeah, cats are evil little buggers, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, cats are evil little buggers, yeah. But do they not, they, um, they go looking for the cat, and they find the cat in, was it a fridge? In the fridge, in his bedroom, actually. In his bedroom. not the ba- not the hor- horrific basement. It was actually in his room. Fridge, yeah. Do you know that was actually a dead cat? It was a real cat. Yeah. Real cat. But what is next to the cat? It's a small vial of liquid. And what color is this liquid? Because it's evil. Fluorescent it's, green. It's fluorescent green. And so. do you know what about that liquid, Wayne? Mm? It was the first time glow stick liquid was ever used in a film. Really? Yes. Well, that is a milestone nobody talks there about. There we go. Because that's what, that's what they used for the serum, glow stick liquid. Well, that makes totally sense. Yeah. Yeah, and it's there next to the cat. And of course, Megan freaks out. She screams. So does Rufus. And then West comes in. And of course, they accuse him of killing the cat. And he offers an explanation that it got its head stuck in a jam jar. It suffocated somehow. Now, did you believe this story? No. No. Did anybody believe the story? I don't think I did. Is if, it... if Dan and Megan believed the story, mm-hmm. well, fuck them. Fuck them, yeah. <laughs> was it the bad story or the way he told it in kind of a detached way? It's like, oh, I found it in a jar. It was already dead. I didn't want to show it to you kind of thing. Yeah, he said it was dead when he found it. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, because they're freaked out, mm-hmm. but West now blackmails them. Yeah. Because Dean Allen Halsey, Megan's father... He's explained as being puritanical. Mm-hmm. And if he knew they were in a relationship... Not married, but wanting to live together, yeah. Yeah, I think, would Cain be kicked out of school? He would be kicked out of school, yeah. Because he blackmails them saying he wouldn't want them thrown out of school on moral grounds. Because I think for West right now, it's all he wants to do is carry on with his experiments, and he might see this as kind of an impediment, so... Yeah. And we cut to, interestingly, 
Kane writhes awake mm-hmm. to the sound of a cat screeching. Yeah. But Wayne, I thought the cat was dead. Well, the cat is sort of, kind of, maybe dead. And they go down to the basement, which again makes a perfect. Uh, but what does Kane up- take to the basement? What it was a it was baseball a, a baseball bat. bat Do you th- yeah. Here's the thing. Do you think he bought that baseball bat explicitly because West? Because West we didn't. We'd never yeah. seen it before. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I would. If West was renting from me yeah. after that, that you know, that creepy face. Yeah. Everyone's got a baseball bat just behind the door yeah. for just such an eventuality. It's a very American thing. It is a very American thing to do. Yeah, we'd have a cricket bat. But we don't. But we don't. I don't. No, just tell people we do. Yeah, we do. We're yeah. very British. Don't we, bring it to my house. Yeah, but he goes down to the basement. Like I say, thing is, uh, thing is working there. He breaks down the door, mm-hmm. or breaks through the lock of S- the door. Smashes through the door, and the cat's on West's back. Yeah, and it's it's funny because you can tell it's a puppet, which he's having to. F- uh, West is having to flail around while pretending it's still on his back. Do you think they should have used the dead cat from the fridge? The real dead cat. <laughs> maybe uh, I just glued it to his back. Uh, maybe they could have. Uh, yeah. But it does look kind of weird. And he's throwing it around all the place, and the cat's the cat is screeching. Turns out what West has done. This reagent, the glowing chemical, is his reagent for, as he says, reanimating the dead. Do you think that's where they got the title of the film? Hmm? No, no, no <laughs> of course he did. Yeah, and this is what this is what brings us to, I guess, the main themes of the movie. It's the human scientists messing with nature. Yeah, because what West says, he says, we can defeat death. Mm-hmm. And this is his kind of ethos, isn't it? We can live forever. We'll be famous forever. We can defeat death. And I think the criteria is the fresher the corpse, the better, isn't it? Yeah. And the kind of the right chemical process. Mm-hmm. And with these two fundamentals you can reanimate the dead yeah because if you think through most of film history especially like sci-fi horror films the scientists were the crazy people they had all these mad theories they developed all these funny chemicals and this is almost kind of like a throwback to that well uh, did you find this film was very much it obviously harkens back to the universal monsters of the the 30s your frankincense but it very much had a 50s pulp sci-fi feel it did it was scientists that could have been played by someone back in the day like like your boris boris karloff or or, vincent price or bella lugosi or something like that yeah he's that that kind of throwback scientist so even with this the screeching cat dan kane does not believe him no he's like no this is ridiculous so what happens is West injects Rufus to prove a disbelieving Cain. Mm-hmm. Okay, the cat gurns after this injection, which takes Cain back a little bit. And he says, why is he gurning? Which West says, birth is painful. <laughs> which I feel is a great line. It's a good line, yeah. But because the cat's been dead for, we don't know, West wants fresh bodies. Fresh bodies. And where can you go to get fresh bodies? The morgue? The, the morgue? Oh, that's a good. I wasn't thinking of that. That's it's luckily idea. they're doctors. But does it? Yeah. So they go because they go to the morgue, accompanied by the what I'm calling the not psycho theme. Yes. They go back to it. At this point, do you think Kane really believed in West? Is it just because he's seen this cat come back to sort of life right in front of him? I mean, that would convince you somewhat. Mm-hmm. But you would be very skeptical anyway. Well, if you <laughs> see a dead cat, somebody injects it, it's back to life. I'd have questions anyway. You'd, you'd be questioned. Yeah. And uh, in fact, speaking of questions, um, Kane is asking, thing, you know, what are we doing here? West says, and I think this was an important line, he says, any evidence of reanimated consciousness will justify proceedings. Essentially, ends justifying the means. I thought this was another inf- a very important element too. That's a good line, Wayne. Mm-hmm. That's a good line. It is a very good kind because they're talking, because there's a lot of like moral and ethical issues about this bringing people back to life. But he's like, if we can do it, then it's okay. So you're on about this morgue scene. This is, this is where Kane sneaks 
west under the sheet onto the gurney on the gurney isn't it how many people must have tried that <laughs> and we should set up they're sneaking them in because after the the birth is painful after the reanimation of the cat kane actually snitches on west to dean halsey mm, he does try to tell him but and Hal- but halsey rescinds his loan and he suspends west does he not or it's, fires him it sends you totally back first does he not try to kick kane out so he says he's going to take his grant money yeah and he'd have to transfer to somewhere else so of course now west cannot be in the hospital mm. which is why we're sneaking him in under the sheet on the gurney i can't yeah and i think at this point kane is like because he's in trouble as well like maybe he feels like he's got nothing more to lose at this point and that's why he's helping him and they look for the least damaged corpse mm-hmm. john doe arrived that morning Heart failure or a heart attack, apparently, because they don't know. Do you know? Here's an interesting little fact. Do you know who John Doe is? The muscular corpse. I thought a lot of them were muscular, but uh, who is this John Doe? This John Doe is Arnold Schwarzenegger's body double. Really? Yes. And do you know why? I think, I always wonder if it's self-referential, because that muscular corpse, when it reanimates later on, it gurns in an Arnie-like gurn. Like, grunt. I never even thought about, you know, I never even thought about that. Yes, I'm, I'm sure that was a nod to Arnie. Because all I was thinking is when you see, like we'll see it later on, a lot of the corpse are running around, they do have, they're all yeah. pretty muscular bodies. But I this noticed. specific one, this first one, it was Arnie's body double. It's fascinating. I didn't even I didn't even know that at all. Incredible. But we should talk about what happens when he brings these bodies back to life because he injects them, believe, into the brainstem or into the brain. Well, he's got Kane on his side because Kane is now using a voice recorder and he's recording West's experiments. He's recording experiments, yeah. And he'll inject these corpses with this reagent that he's got, this glowing green thing. Yeah. And these bodies, for all intents and purposes, come back to life. But you wouldn't say they're human, really. The way they come back, they're violence is basically their entire nature when they come back. I think some, there's somebody reference that they're animalistic. Yeah. They're impulsive. They move, I think the word is spasmodically, so they just kind of move, like kind of jolt around the room. They attack pretty much anybody who's there. And we're getting these cutscenes now. They're in the morgue, and also Halsey enters with Megan into mm. the hospital, because Halsey now is going a bit apeshit. Yeah. He's saying they they're suspended, they shouldn't be here. West should not be there. He's trying to kick them out. This is going to be a very. Uh, this was a very poor choice by Dean Halsey, by the way, to come in, to come into this morgue today. So he increases the dosage on Muscle Man, doesn't he? When he doesn't reanimate, because that's his whole thing. Because he's saying he's injecting was it like twelve cc's. I think CCs. someone actually. I was reading, but someone actually pointed out the amount he's got in his syringe is way more than twelve cc's. Is it? Does it look a lot? It, it looks a lot. It does look like a lot, yeah. But because he's he injects, it hasn't worked. No, she needs more. Injects more, and that's what eventually brings them back because they think it's failure until, of course, they see finger twitching. Finger twitching. Finger twitching. Classic. It's always a finger twitching. Is this Arnie number two coming to life? Arnold. Arnold. Yeah, and then they bring they bring him back, and Dean Halsey comes. Ooh. He gets into the room. At the worst possible time. Because what does Arnie body double do? It kills him. He breaks the door down, mm-hmm. lands right on Halsey. It does, and he stamps on Halsey when he's in the corridor, doesn't he? He bites his fingers off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, again. Oh, man. So, quite a brutal film at times, wasn't well, it? Well, how do, you tell us, Wade. How does West get the corpse off Halsey? Well, Pretty much a dead Halsey at this point. Well, he takes a bone saw. He took a bone saw and he sticks it through his chest. A strange effect. They had to do it. I'm not sure how they'd do it, but there's bits where you can actually see the real actor's body underneath, like, the fake chest. Did you know Jeffrey Coombs, who plays West, of course, mm-hmm. 
did not like any of the gore in this film. He was a very queasy man. He oh, struggled it? with all the blood and guts. Did he read the script beforehand? I was thinking <laughs> that, yeah. It's a weird film to take on. It's a weird you're... thing to accept if this is how you're feeling. But it's a pretty cool death, that, like sticking the, the, the saw right through the chest. And it looks really effective. This is what we've said on several podcasts, I think, now. For all, you know, the, 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 the ease of use, the cheapness of CGI... Practical effects can't be beaten, can No, because they? even if the practical effects don't look fantastic, the thing you were looking at is physically there. Well, that's, as you say, and I think somebody's tried to, you know, rationalise this, of why do we prefer practical effects, even if they can look hokier than CGI? And I think it, somebody kind of deduced that it's because with practical effects, you can understand the mechanics behind it. Uh. You can actually see what's going on because... You can picture in your mind how it's being built rather than just somebody clicking and pointing yeah. it on a computer. Looking at a f- looking at special effects, you're just seeing someone making this on a computer yes. screen. Yeah, it's tangible. Yeah, so even yeah, even though it's cheesy, it looks like the thing is actually physically there. Yes. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's it definitely, why it, and it works. It does, it, it, it works, especially when, even for kind of a small budget, I think they pulled it off well in this film because it fantastic looking makeup and gore effects. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with them. I don't even think they look that cheesy. No, I don't think they're cheesy. Apparently, West doesn't like them though so much, though. Yeah, well, <laughs> fuck West at yeah. this point. But technically, his experiment has worked. Well, it has, yes. Mm. Well, well, the, his reanimation just killed Halsey. It did, but his reanimation will bring Halsey back to life, kind of, sort of. Yeah, because poor old Halsey gets shoved in a straitjacket and into a padded cell by Hill. Funny Dr. thing about Hill. this padded cell, this room was actually very fragile because when you see in these movies people in straitjackets and padded cells, what are they usually doing? They're usually crashing about, throwing themselves against the walls. Here they couldn't because just tapping the walls would make it fall over. So you notice he just has to stand there in the middle of the room and not oh, that's read. That's interesting. Yeah, because if he Is that why wall- he's just hunched in a corner? Yeah, because if he'd hit the walls they would just have fallen over. But it's effective because it almost makes him look... Like, do you know how we were saying about this animalistic instinct? He mm-hmm. almost looks like a wounded animal hurled in the curled in the corner. He does. He actually looks like yeah. he's scared to go near any of so these it's things. thematically on point still. Mm-hmm. So does this mean Hill has, not a promotion, but Hill is now kind of, well, it's like he's almost now the unchallenged authority. Well, we find out actually later that th- this is almost Hill's intention. I think this is why he's un- he's experimenting with ways and researching ways to dominate, isn't he? Dominate somebody's will. He wants complete control of them and now he's Hill's in control of Halsey mm-hmm. so Hill yes he becomes the leader of this hospital yeah because uh, even though he disagreed openly with West he is actually now fascinated by his research and it's essentially the thing where you had scientists or inventors competing against each other it becomes more a power like a power trip like a battle of ego rather than any kind of discovery is this the power of you can give life and you can take life because there's always this trope in films about the you know the the rogue doctor yeah is it that kind of, do you think it's like an ego ego myonic ego maniacal there we yeah. go away yeah. is it that power that they possess over people it's think? like trying to play god basically yeah it's like that god say, complex like yeah. you say you can take life and you can you can give it back here yes yeah it's a very much a god complex because you can see hill as kind of abusing his authority here and using like his power over people. We don't have that problem. Definitely not. <laughs> so Hill says to Meg and Halsey's daughter, she, he wants her to sign a release so he can perform exploratory research on him. He thinks it's neurological. Okay, if somebody goes insane, why do you do brain surgery? Why is that the first conclusion? 
Because they just think he's insane at this point. Yeah, I think they're trying to find... Because, well, in even in the 80s, it wasn't that... A lot of stuff about the brain was still not that well-known, like, like psychological-wise. In fact, they were still doing, and this happens... At one point, Halsey in this film actually gets lobotomized, yes. which was still a practice even in the mid eighties. Were still being done to an extent. Obviously, they'd been largely they'd been largely reduced since like the mid the mid twentieth century, but they're still being performed. I think they're actually almost bringing back that as a more mainstream therapy, the electric shock treatment. Uh, electric they? shock treatment. Yeah, I think they're just playing around now because I think. Uh, do they think it works now or something? I don't know because it was barbaric because it left people messed up for years, didn't it? Maybe it's less electric. Possibly is, yeah. less electric. Does, it, does less electric make a difference? Turn the voltage up. But like I say, Halsey is totally out of it now. Yeah, well, well, Hill says to, uh, to Megan, you must trust me. And here's an important part of the thing, because Halsey bangs against the glass of his padded cell now mm-hmm. as Hill is creeping on his daughter, which kind of suggests that even though these people are reanimated, mm-hmm. There's a bit of them still... So there's a, do there's, they retain a bit of themselves? There's still a connection. So there's still like that family bond there, yeah. That comes in later, yeah, Wayne, so he, so he hits the window and it doesn't fall over. <laughs> That's lucky. But actually, Hill, at this point, of course, Hill, who is... I want to say somewhat jealous of West. He wants to take uh, he wants to take West's research, doesn't he? Because he turns he up he turns up at the basement, and West for some reason still wearing a tie. Why does this guy always have a tie on? He's professional. He's Wayne. in his own place in the lab, yeah. Because he turns up and he tries to take his again. It's the kind of duel between. Have you heard of like bad cop, worse cop? Oh, this is bad scientist, worse scientist. Because we're asking who's really the yeah. bad scientist. He's created this reagent. This guy wants to steal it and use it for his own purposes well he, he says in the basement is i want your discovery and then when west's not that sure he says i'll have you locked up as a madman or a murderer you mm-hmm. will do what i tell you to do mm-hmm. again there's the exercising control over him and west not a very sciencey approach but he takes a shovel and he clocks hill over the head with it because he, he clocks him because he actually hands him his notes mm-hmm. and he, Hill looks through the, is looking through the microscope at this point at West's work, and he's amazed. He's like, because he puts a bit of the serum, he doesn't he? He drops a bit of serum, yeah. Serum <laughs> or, or, under the microscope, and Hill's he's impressed. It works. I don't mm-hmm. know what he dropped it on. What did he drop it on? That uh, must have been maybe some se- maybe some dead cells. Yeah, I, I, I and they reanimate. West backs off, grabs a shovel. And then Hill says, yes, Mr. West, I will be famous. <laughs> and West smacks him back of the head. Apparently, the shovel kill is a Stuart Gordon staple. I, I read that, yeah. I looked it up, but I couldn't find any other... Because when I typed in Stuart Gordon shovel, I couldn't find any other films where it happened. Well, what, <laughs> what appeared there? What, no, it just said Stuart Gordon and then just shovel appeared somewhere, but I couldn't find any other films. It must be said, Wayne. Mm-hmm. Stuart Gordon must have Scottish heritage. Yes. That's a very Scottish name. <laughs> Stuart Gordon is a very Scottish name, yeah. Yes, it's Stuart and Gordon. I think I, I think I know Gordon Stewart, actually. Gordon Stewart, yes. Gordon Stewart, yeah. Um, but he's taken that... Well, he, he hits him so much, he tends he takes the head off, doesn't well, he? Because no, he, he, he knocks him on the ground, mm-hmm. and he plunges the shovel right on into through his neck, through mm-hmm. his neck. And actually severs Hill's head. Decapitates him. Uh, and then sets the sets the head up in this tray, and I like the head kept falling over. Oh, had they considered that? Because he actually gets something to balance it, doesn't he? He gets it's like you know them spiked post-it stamps. Uh, that's what it was. And he yeah. puts it into the tray and just sticks the head onto it. Yeah. And you, do you know the do you know what the head? You know what he does? He reanimates the head, and what does the head do? Calls him a bastard. You bastard. <laughs> no, you bastard. Like very drawn out. He calls him a bastard. Are you auditioning, Wayne? Yeah. They I, did. They did make a. Re- 
reanimate or a musical re- uh, not too long they ago. did make it a musical yeah like less than 10 years ago is this I think. what your this is my audition is this for, your audition for the revival of it it's for dr hills yeah I'd, I'd have to grow about a foot in height i think yeah foot in height very very tall yeah but he's keeping him he's keeping him on the table now here's a question he's reanimated the head and this makes sense because they're talking about brain death, yes, etc. Yes. He injects it. He injects it into the body and reanimates that too. Why does that work with the body? Because the body, the head has been completely severed. So what's? Is it just just reanimating muscle there? Because it seems like the head has some conscious control over the body. Do you know what's an actual interesting anecdote in mm. the book? Herbert West's Reanimator by yeah. Lovecraft, of course. Lovecraft, yeah. As we've mentioned several times already. The the veins are sewn together to the head and they were trying to think of how to get around this and there was talk of maybe having the head with lungs beneath yeah. because they thought if the head's going to talk, it needs to have lungs for the air. That's another point I had. How can he talk? But they decided... Ah shit! We'll just have a talking head. I guess it's just it's sci-fi, so there's the suspension of disbelief here. So you're not going to have everything completely accurate. I did think of that. I thought, how is he able to talk with his no with his lungs detached? How is he reanimating this body? And I thought maybe I'm just overthinking all of this. Another interesting anecdote about this uh, head, Wayne. Mm-hmm. Now the headless Doctor Hill, played yes. by David Gale. Mm-hmm. They actually shaved his head for this film. They did because they shaved the wig. The wig was what made to match the match the. Dummy. They didn't have the money to get a proper. <laughs> good you know a good authentic looking wig for the for the prosthetic head the head just shaved his head so the whole film hill's got a toupee just got a rubbish toupee and they thought well he's pompous it actually fits him he would have a toupee to be fair i didn't actually think too much of that it was when i read it afterwards i I didn't actually know it was a toupee you're supposed to know that toupees are quite obvious exactly but i went back and looked but it looks just like that kind of hairstyle that someone like that would have doesn't it yes yeah but and another thing When Hill leaves, because uh, does um, because does the body not take uh, take West out, like knock him out or knock him down or something like that? Yeah, the body ne- uh, knocks West out from behind. Yeah, because it, it bangs him against the table, doesn't it? Yeah, when Hill leaves, why doesn't he just kill West? Because he just leaves him there. I mean, he's taking his reshirts, but he must know that West is going to come after him. Why doesn't he just kill him? I mean, I know that's a dumb movie villain trope. Because we need West to survive. Do we have to facilitate the plot, Wayne? We can't make Bride of Reanimator without him. How many deep dives have we done now? You can't kill central characters. They need to live. Kill all of the central characters. So at the same time, uh, Dan Kane is in Hill's office. He goes through some of Hill's work. He finds newspaper clippings and hair clippings of Megan. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's weird. I'm starting to get the feeling that this Hill guy is a bit creepy. Just now? Just now. Do you know in the original draft of this uh, film, Dr. Hill had hypnotic powers? He did. Actually, that's what I was going to mention. Later on, a bit bit later on in the film, Hill appears to have some kind of telepathic control over all these corpses because what was originally written as uh, Hill developed this method where he could control all these bodies, but this was cut out and at least the version I watch has the gore in. So the version, they remove the gore and they put kind of this... I guess you could psychic say psychic powers. In yeah, this, sense, psych- yeah. this kind of psychic power subplot in, but these were mostly removed. But it does make you think at the end: how is he controlling these monsters? Because these bits have been omitted. Yeah, but it's interesting. It was actually the producer of this film, Charles Band. You know, the, the not nepotism crew. <laughs> it was actually him who thought the film only needed one fantastical ed- element, which is the serum. Yeah. And the scenes were shot, as you said, but they were cut from the final film because the first cut, as we said, was two and a half hours long. Okay, this is what I was going to say. Pulp films like this, they work because of the brevity. They're fun, they're fast, 
they don't hang around. Two and a half hours would be too long for That this. would be too long for this film. It would be too long. Because it's just trying to fill in the time. Again, if you do it quicker, it can be a lot better paced and it can be a lot funnier as well. Uh, but as we were saying in Hill's office, Kane and Megan, they approach Halsey and he's been lobotomized with Dr. Hill's creation, which is a laser drill, isn't it? He, mm-hmm. he lobotomizes people with a laser drill. Yeah, I thought originally that was some kind of cutting tool. And maybe it is, but yeah, because usually they would do lobotomies above the eyelids. But yeah, it's, like in, the, it's in the forehead, isn't it? It's like the, a perfect circle. In it's the, like a hole right in the forehead, yeah. yeah. Like he's a cyclops. Cyclops. <laughs> so West awakens in his basement after he's been knocked out. And he realizes Hill stole all of his work. And mm-hmm. Kane comes in. Yeah. And West confides that Hill is dead. And Kane says that's why he did it to Halsey. He, he lobotomized him so he could control him in case he ever tried to tell somebody what happened. Which West says so he could protect his discovery. Mm-hmm. Very clever. Because we find out this is where this has been Hill's plan all along, hasn't mm-hmm. he? This way of controlling people, this mastering of people. Yeah, it's essentially what just like just basically just to manipulate them and then hold that like guilt over them or to basically to blackmail them, like you say. And this is what he's trying to cover up his psychotic need for Megan. Mm-hmm. But now that he's got control over all these people, he's he feels like he's kind of untouchable. Yep. Yeah. And Hill, he's in his office. He's a walking body at this point with a <laughs> with a head. Yeah. What's funny is you can see that when the head walks around this body is now like about a foot taller because obviously you've got a person with yes. this big coat over them. Yeah, someone pointed that out. It's hard not to notice. It's like, yeah, this guy's. If you put the head on top of that, the dude would be like seven feet tall. Yeah, we're not judging. <laughs> <laughs> he injects his head with more of that serum, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. He pours blood into the container also to feed the brain. To sit the brain. What I like is um, the actor. David Gale, uh, he had to spend so long just sitting still that Jeffrey Coombs apparently would actually have to give him cigarettes. Oh, really? Because he was sat there for so long, he was actually just like giving this, just giving this head cigarettes. Ah, the days when every single person smoked. When everybody smoked, especially doctors. Especially doctors. They put with doctors because the doctors all had their, well, they all recommended certain brands. Probably of in their surgery as well. Yeah, probably. Yeah, while they were while they were working. You get a cigarette butt in your lung. <laughs> just dropped in. Sorry about that. He calls for Alan Halsey, though, doesn't he, Hale? Mm-hmm. He says, it's time for you to come out now. And you get this cool shot through the window. They're looking at each other because, obviously, Halsey's still in his padded cell. Yeah. And there's almost this reflection, this duality. They're seeing each other's reflections within the glass. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really cool they're shot. See, they're seeing what, that yeah. was a very good shot. Yeah, they're seeing the other person for, like, who they are now. Here's the thing, Wayne. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Hale goes to the hallway of this hospital. Yes. That is a terrible disguise. On top of the headless body, yeah. he uses... What is that head he it's uses? A, it's like a head from a... Uh, you know, like a skeleton you'd have in um, yes. like a display thing. Yeah, like one of those. like a, Yeah, just like from a dummy. That's a security guard. That's the boudoir magazine. Mm-hmm. This is the masturbator. Too much, mas- too much masturbating. That's why he doesn't notice. He's going yes. blind. He's going blind. He is not equipped to be that He's security not. guard. In fact, Barbara Crampton herself has actually said, she said to them, that looks bloody terrible. It would actually look better if they just put literally his severed head on top. And, and they didn't really have a response for that. His ear even falls off. Yeah, exactly. His fucking ear falls off. And the secu- <laughs> oh, the security guard, I suppose he thought that just is a common occurrence in the hospital. <laughs> yeah, but see, he turned a page and there was... Uh, Someone special on the next page, you see. Tits. Tits, yep. <laughs> Tits on the next page. So he's off again. <laughs> so he gets it, we get in the morgue, mm-hmm. takes his head from the carrier bag. He rolls out, they roll out a corpse on the gurney, don't they? Mm-hmm. And then we're at Meg's. Dan yes. rushes in, does a soppy re- reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Halsey breaks through the door. Yeah. This guy doesn't give up. No, he doesn't at all. 
he turns up and he essentially basically kidnapped her. So it's like, you know, we mentioned earlier when you mentioned Megan, yeah, Halsey reacted. It's like that's been switched off now, yeah, because he comes along and kidnaps his own daughter. He carries her to the morgue. Mm, carries her to the morgue. That's a bleak place to be carried to. Very much so, yeah. Especially those bloody cold beds, because <laughs> yeah. it does lead to one of, well, I'd say, among the most famous scenes of this whole film. Definitely one, of, definitely the most explicit. Do you think it was a little exploitive? Well. Crampton herself has been asked about this because we should point out she is fully naked in fully this scene. Fully naked and bound to the gurney. And she you has... call it a gurney? What do you call the mortuary table? I've heard them called slabs. Yeah, yeah. she's strapped to the slab. She's strapped to the slab, yeah. And I've have, I've heard Barbara Crampton say, you know, there's all this talk about being naked in yes. movies, but she says she did it when she felt it was right. Uh, Julianne Moore said the same thing. She says she's done it like in movies like Boogie Nights yep. or The Kids Are All uh, Kids Are All Right. When she felt it fitted the story, it wasn't just, just for the sake of it. She's been very willing to do it. Well, Barbara Crampton was actually strong in real life because she actually took quite control and made sure... What was being shown in each camera angle, she kind of took over, and I think Stuart Gordon respected that. And they were, you know, relatively, you know, cordial. There was, I think, she said, uh, only four seconds of full nudity. Yeah, because you see mostly the the upper half, but I think it's only four seconds of full nudity. That was the most that she would allow. She's obviously bound to this, knocked out, but she wakes up screaming. Mm-hmm. I don't blame her. No, I don't. Do you blame her there? Well, wouldn't you be? I wouldn't even like to imagine it This creepy severed head with a bad wig Has been held over her And it's essentially, let's be honest here Dr Hill is essentially sexually assaulting this woman Well he says to her I've always admired your beauty my dear I think I've always loved you Mm -hmm. That's fucked up man That's pretty fucked up Yes, Especially from a decapitated head telling you that With a bad wig With a bad wig wig, Yeah, Because the body holds the head across Barbara's body do you think this scene, right? I was thinking. Do you think this scene was just set up so they could say head given head? Possibly. You think yeah. that's what the linear notes said? I, th- I think so. Yeah. It's, it's, it's. Do you know, actually, funnily enough, um, what do you say the actor of Dr. Hill was called? David Gale. David Gale. His wife, when she saw this, was so mortified. Yeah. I think they actually divorced not long after this. They did. Apparently, when they watched it, I think they watched it together. His wife actually said to him, David, how could you? And, yeah. s- and one, I think it was the producer said, she left and she never came back. And David Gale uh, himself said he felt, quote, spiritually bereft while filming those scenes because he didn't like filming those scenes. Well, we get West and Kane enter now. Mm-hmm. All, the, all the corpses reanimate now. All well, of them. All the fun stuff. And... Um, and West has an interesting line here. He says, it's actually two lines. He says, who's going to believe a talking head? Get a job in a sideshow. Yeah. Now, uh, Coombs actually thought that second line was the best one. But you notice the line is very rushed after the first line. Yeah. Because apparently when the film was shown, everyone laughed so much at the first line, they missed the second line. Oh, really? Like, you know the scene in Ali, Annie Hall with the cocaine? Oh, yeah, when, 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 he, when, when he, he snores. Sneezes, uh, that scene was supposed to, supposed to end there, but what Alan said, the laugh was so big, they had to protract the scene. It's like that here. If he hadn't rushed the line, people would have noticed it. But because he said the line so quickly, audiences missed the second line, and that was the line he liked the most. Interesting. Because Hill also says to West, does he not? He said, I will show you power, Mr. West. Mm-hmm. My discovery, a laser, a laser surgical drill. It makes possible a new technique in lobotomy, which results in to- total mastery of the human will. This is what we've been getting that way. Yes. Hill's a control freak. He is a control freak. He's literally, you're taking this research, he's just using it for ultimate power. And Meg tries to reason with her father, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. 
he responds and fights the corpses off her. So he still has a shred of himself. I've literally written here, things go crazy in the morgue. Because this is like kind of the big climax, you could say, where all the sexy, muscly corpses are reanimated and they're all kind of like fighting each other. And like you say, they're using Dean Halsey to help fight the corpses off. But do you know what we would call that in the UK, Wayne? Mm. It all goes tits up. <laughs> <laughs> Literally goes tits up, yeah. Do you know what's interesting about that scene? You know how, uh, well, obviously it's a mortuary. They're all naked. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a particularly hung gentleman, should we say, <laughs> playing playing uh, a corpse. Mm-hmm. So do you know what they done? Mm. It's a white guy, I should say. Yeah. They, they painted his penis black. So it oh. was less noticeable on camera. Oh. But some observant viewer saw this and they said to Stuart Gordon, I think, he says, oh, is that what happens when you die? Your, your penis goes black. <laughs> what, your penis and none, none of the rest of you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You think you'd want to be stood to the, like, the camera the whole time. Actually, something else uh, thing in the scene. You know how we said earlier that the kind of psycho main theme is played over certain parts? Here we have a kind of altered rendition of the psycho shower scene like dun, 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 yes dun, yes dun, played over this and i start thinking yes this is a homage to bernard herman's score do you think copyright was ever brought up against this uh, i don't know is it did they acknowledge it they I, must have. I, I know that when band did the score for this he actually went over time and had to invest his own money but fifteen hundred dollars was it i'm maybe mistaken here you maybe can clarify was it the rome philharmonic that the rome Philharmonic? yeah, yeah it, was, it, was. it was all done in italy yeah but he overstayed his like his lease there or whatever uh-huh. so he actually had to pay out of his own pocket to get it so halsey gets to hill because mm-hmm. he's kind of megan's got round to her lobotomized reanimated dead father <laughs> and there's a shred of himself still in this reanimation something there yeah and he actually grabs Hill and squeezes his head, blood <laughs> spilling from eyes, gore, and he deflates his head like a football. Yeah, he squeezes some, it so much, it There's deflates. something hilarious, something so funny about a squashing head death scene. Do you think that was a painted ball, just? I think it probably was, because all the stuff like spills out yes. the bottom, doesn't it? Great. Also, something else I want to point out, I don't know if you noticed this, there's a shot in the corridor of the security guard running right. off, presumably going off to masturbate again. Yeah, probably. There's a Dutch angle. It's yes. like it's a Dutch angle. It's something's like, gone awry. It's about the only one in the whole film. So is that the only point in the film, something's gone awry? What, the, what, the dude running off to masturbate? Yes. <laughs> That's the only concern. You know how they use a Dutch angle? Yeah. They tilt the camera yeah. when something's not quite yeah. they could have, They could have used it for most of this climax, but they use it for this guy. But this is just normality for him. Yes. <laughs> but again, He I usually just, misses everything anyway, because he's yeah. always in the bathroom. He's always just jacking off in the bathroom. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, it's just a random Dutch angle. I thought it was, I don't know. I just thought I'd throw, I just thought I'd throw that one in there. Why do the corpses start pulling the electrics about? Uh, I don't know. Because they hate them? Yeah, I don't know. Is it to make the scene more chaotic? I would say so, Wayne. Yeah, because they start, they start pulling things that will... Chaos ensues here. Is it to make sparks fly and to make lights flash because that looks more more cool in a climax, maybe? Because Dan and Megan, they try to make a beeline for it now. Yeah. And West's kind of caught back there. He throws the bag of notes, doesn't he, what Will t- took... Kane takes off with them, and poor old Kane in the hallway, just before he gets to the elevator, he fights off a naked corpse. Mm-hmm. That must have been horrific for him to film. Y- yeah. Yes. It's, it's bad for the corpse, too. Poor actor. <laughs> it's a very very weird thing to happen. And is Megan injured round about this point? Well, round about. We, um, Kane goes for the emergency axe. You know how and there's a break like glass a, like emergency a, like, yeah. axe. Yes. Yeah. And he axes the corpse in the lift, which is grabbing Meg. Yeah. 
And she's pretty much dead after that, or half dead at this mm-hmm. point, because he carries her to the emergency room, Kane. Yeah. He and tries we, to resuscitate We kind him. of go back to kind of like a parallel of... The, the beginning, of, when he couldn't bring back life. Of his introduction. Again, he uses the defibrillators wrong. Yes. Again, he does dreadful CPR. And the, again, the same doctor as before gets him to stop trying. Has to inform him to stop trying. Now, what did you think was going to happen here in this scene? I know what I wanted to happen, but what did you think was going to I happen? I actually thought this is what was going to happen. It, do you know why? Right. The film's called Reanimator. Yeah, and it's the last few minutes. And I it's did, the last few minutes. I did think, do you think it would have been more interesting if he looked at the situation and went, okay, I'm not going to do this? Because it would make sense because he's seen the consequences of this reagent. He's yes. seen what it can do. So it would kind of make sense. Because, yeah, like, did you see Pet Cemetery? Yeah. It's a similar kind of thing because, like, he keeps doing it even though it's bad consequences. But here, I guess, because you need to have this. Okay, he's a doctor. Do you think it's bad doctor judgment at this point? Because he has saw the the chaos going on in the yeah. mortuary from the reanimation. But he's doing this for completely personal, very emotional reasons. So that yeah. that's yeah, because of... he obviously fails to resuscitate her. Yeah. He's trying to he kisses her dead corpse now. He gets the serum out the bag, Wayne. He says, "I love you." <laughs> he injects her. Fade to black. Oh, which is a really cool scene, this ending scene. After he injects her, it fades to black with this... But we get a black screen, but you still see the fluorescent serum. Mm -hmm. And the serum's depleting as it's injected into her. And we end on a barbaric scream. End in a scream. So, well, I'll be honest, I think he personally, he made the wrong judgment there. But I I don't know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. (laughs) And apparently he's not either. (laughs) I know CPR, but I'm not a doctor. And that's the end. And being a kind of funny kind of silly sci-fi B-movie, I decided to watch the credits. Do you know about six credits are actually, uh, six corpses are credited in this film, including failed operation corpse, motorcycle accident corpse, bullet wound to the face corpse, my personal favourite, tall skinny guy corpse. <laughs> tall skinny guy corpse. <laughs> That's obviously not the Arnold double then. Well, no. Yeah. I'm, I am thinking, I hope these people did other films, because imagine if that was your... Oh, who have you played? I played Bullet Wound to the Face Corpse, don't you know? I played Painted Penis Corpse. (laughs) (laughs) I did have a massive dick, though. Yes, well. And also, the disclaimer at the end, no animals were killed or injured in the making of this movie. Where did they get the dead cat? You know how much I wanted to say afterwards, except the cat, of course. I just wanted it to end on that. Where do you think they found that? Do you think they they didn't just pay off some veterinarian, did they? Oh, they they may have, actually. Like a like a like a Morgan of Vets. It wasn't that creepy mortician guy who was doing you know exhibitions of John Wayne Gacy's clown paintings in the morgue, was it? It, it could have been. I mean, how do you go? Oh, do you have a dead cat, by the way? Yeah. No, no. Sorry, no. Sorry, I gave mine away to another film. But I'll so find I, you one tomorrow. I'll, 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 I'll find you one tomorrow. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Thanks. But like, do you ever see the movie Gummo? Yeah. <laughs> like the movie Gummo. Great. But you don't like Gummo. I didn't like Gummo very much. No. Shame. 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 shame yeah. But that's the end of Reanimator. Which I I really enjoyed. Mm. It it holds up. Do you think it holds up as much second viewing? I'll be honest. For me, for me, the best thing about it was the discovery of the movie. Yeah, watching it back second time, I had more questions. Not all necessarily bad questions, yeah. but I had more questions, and there was more moments of oh, I'm not really sure about this. The first time watching it because I'd heard about it, and I thought this sounds like something I have to see. This sounds really great. And I do really enjoy the film, but like I say, I think on subsequent viewings, like you kind of just think about it more. Even though you shouldn't, you just do think about it more. I think Pauline Kael summed up perfectly, perfectly in that sentence, indigenous American junk. Mm-hmm. 
that's a that's that's perfectly summed up. Yes. That's concise and to the point. Mm-hmm. It's not disparaging the film. It's praising it for what it is. It is pulpy. Mm-hmm. It is ridiculous. It is humorous. It is gory. Yeah. This is exactly what it intended to be because Brian Usner, the producer, actually showed the director, Stuart Gordon, in pre-production, they just looked at hundreds of films from this era, The Driller Killer, mm. Evil Dead, all these splatter fests, and they said, we can do that. Yeah. Ca- and do you know what other film they weirdly researched and uh-huh. watched and watched? Rosemary's Baby. Oh, okay. I don't think that came into it much, did it? That sounds more like the, the other script that Gordon had in mind. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, for me, it completely works. It, look, when you take away personal opinion, mm-hmm. you, you look at a film and you say, what, what was the intent of the filmmaker? And did that intent, did they achieve the intention they set out for? And I, they, they, they do it in, no pun intended, shovel loads. <laughs> no, definitely. This movie has an undeniable charm. Yes. It's got fantastic prosthetics. And I love the depiction of, I guess, for lack of a better term, the scientific madness. Well, you are a bit of a mad scientist, Wayne. Only slightly. Because do you want to tell people what you studied? Well, I actually studied biomedical science. Biomedical. So you could, in some parallel universe, be a Herbert West. (laughs) Possibly, yes. I've got the glasses. Well, you've got the glasses. (laughs) Not as much hair as he has. Not as much hair. (laughs) But that's why I do like seeing movies with that kind of scientific intrigue. I'm not saying it's a bad film, but like you're saying about calling it, you can call a movie junk or trash and you're not necessarily saying you don't like it. No, because that's what that's the intention of the film. It is to be exactly. pulpy trash. It's not, It's not, it doesn't have movies, it's not a film with great pretensions or anything like this that. This isn't trying to be horror in the line of The Exorcist. No, it's a silly sci-fi movie that had a great idea and yeah, I think they followed through on it. I, I really like the performances, kind of, kind of silly campy performances, but I think they very much work in like the framework of the story. Complete recommend. Still holds up. You're still going to have fun. It's, it holds up somewhat to repeated viewings. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really lose its charm. Mm-hmm. It's low budget, or relative low budget, plays into the success of it, I think. Mm-hmm. I think if, again, sci-fi is your kind of thing. Sci-fi I think, horror. High sci-fi horror. Comedy horror. I'm not sure sometimes how well it blended. Sometimes it felt like the comedy and horror yeah. were kept very separate rather than being effectively Well, the blended. Headless Corpse is a horror. I mean, the Headless Corpse, com- yeah. Comedy horror in itself. Yeah. But for me, after all we've said, yes, I would definitely recommend this film. There you go, folks. Go out and see it. If you've not seen it, it is plentiful everywhere. Two recommendations from In Film We Trust. You've been listening to episode 16 of In Film We Trust. Once again, I'm Liam. I'm Wayne. Join us next week where we will discuss, dissect and deep dive all things film from the obscure to the mainstream.